worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. I'm back. I never went anywhere yet. It is October 26, 2019, and this is the week that was. Coming up this Thursday is Halloween. Halloween. Do they still allow costumes at schools? Do they still have candy? We used to dress up as a whole day. I remember going as Frankenstein once. Had shoeboxes as feet to give those big... I, I really did it up. I think I, I would. I would guess that most schools still do it. I mean, when I was in, I, I know that. Did you? Yeah, of course I did. We all dressed up. It well, was a great day. I'm going to be in China for Halloween. I will be in China on Thursday. Um, I could think, I'm, I'm, I wonder if they celebrate Halloween. You know what would be neat is, I keep thinking that I'm going to be walking through the streets of Guangzhou and people are going to think, God, that guy's dressed as an old white American. <laughs> <laughs> and I just keep getting candy. Maybe I'll bring a bag as I walk down the streets. I, I, don't, I don't know if they're going to have that. Have you ever noticed, you know you're getting old when the clothes you used to wear are now Halloween costumes. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> The 70s clothes with the bell bottoms and and all that stuff? Those are Halloween costumes. I know. <laughs> I wonder if my white three-piece bell-bottom suit with my silk shirt buttoned down to my navel is is now a costume. Oh, someone out there is wearing it. And my four-inch platform heels. I had I I literally I was the man. My sideburns, my my haircut, my shag haircut. My Did you have a little did you could you get a little like fro going? No, what was it? No, it wasn't a fro. It was more of a it was just it was good. It was a good it was beauty. Look. It was a good look. It was a good look, but, you know, with my white three-piece suit, I used to wear it to a townhouse in downtown Akron for the, I'd walk in there on a Saturday night, dun, 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 staying alive, staying You'd be alive. like, yo, Richie! I remember I went in there, I broke my jaw, and I went in there, and I was looking good. And everybody thought I was just like, something was wrong with me, because I couldn't talk. My jaw was wired. Um, all right. <laughs> So, a lot of people called this week and wanted Stacy King's contact info. I heard people were calling. I got something from Joanne saying it, 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 people are calling wanting the number. So, Stacy King 
was a lady that was on Talking Medicare. Now, when I come back from China, I'm going to have Stacy King on again. And, and I will get out of the way and just let you ask questions to her because obviously I didn't give her enough time because people are calling through the roof. And I knew that because I'm the same way with Medicare. I have no idea, and I haven't called Stacy yet, by the way, and I need to. But here's the number. Grab a pencil, grab a pen. I'll give you five seconds. You think they still dress up for Halloween at Iowa State? I don't know. What's the number? We'll find out today. Here's the number for Stacy King. This is uh, for uh, to get answers on Medicare. The number is eight seven seven two eight three seven six zero zero extension one six six and her email is s king at boast b o s t benefits dot com s king at boast benefits dot com there now quit calling in I'm kidding you could call in and tell me one all right, what happened? October 26th was a big day in history. A big day in history. I started looking up things that happened on October 26th, and it blew me away. For instance, in the year 740, an earthquake struck Constantinople, oh. causing damage to the city walls and buildings. How do they know that? But it did. In how, 17... How do they not know that? Uh, on this date, this very date in 1774, the First Continental Congress adjourned in Philadelphia. The First Continental Congress adjourned on this date. Today. Today. On this date in 1881, the gunfight at the OK Corral. The shootout at the OK Corral was today? The showdown. The you show- can't say shootout anymore, remember? No. Showdown. The showdown at the OK Corral. It's the shootout. It was the most famous showdown in the Wild West between Lawman Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, Virgil Earp, Morgan Earp, and... Erp, erp. And the Cowboys. And they killed uh, Tom and Frank McClowry, Billy Clanton. They all got killed. What, what was it with people back then? Like, they had these, like, like names that were just so, like, they sounded so, you know, cartoonish almost. Like, erp. Wyatt Earp in the gang. Like, Wyatt Earp. Doc Holliday. Like, what? Like, it, there's a comedian that always says, like, bank robbers in the 30s, like, bullets that seemed like they were free because, like, they would rob a place and then they would shoot, like, Suggins and the gang in the wall and be like, hey, if anyone tells you, it was Little Joe and the Suggins gang. It's like it's, it's the same so, thing. It's so true. I agree. I agree. And now, in 1918, Germany, on this date, folks, Germany's supreme commander, General Erich Ludendorff, resigns protesting the terms to which the German government has agreed in negotiating an armistice. 
And in 1922, on this date, the Italian government was forced to resign under pressure from Benito Mussolini. Benito. And in 1949, U.S. President Harry Truman increased the minimum wage from 40 cents to 75 cents. No. No. How could he do that? Jeez, we've come such a long way. You think? And they think that 75 cents was probably... It was a big raise back then. You could buy a house. I'm kidding. I don't know if you could buy a house. But my mom and dad bought their house. The house that my mom still lives in, my mom and dad bought that house. And it's a four-bedroom ranch home for $11,000 in 1953. $11,000. That was about the going rate, though, back then for, like, a nice house. I guess. What do you think that house would be worth today? Well, it's in North Akron. Uh, yeah, but if it's... Probably it, 12. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I think about 100,000. No, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. I... I uh, I wanted. I, we're on. We're only on till ten thirty today. So, I, and I made a show for eleven. Not thinking. So we're going to try and squeeze everything in. I wanted to primarily cover two subjects today. The one that will linger and go on and on has a life of itself and needs to find, and one that is really truly important to all of us. The first is the ongoing impeachment hearings that will once again distract those who we are paying to serve us from doing the business of governing. Although this kabuki theater will eventually play out, and I told you, it just let it go, it may be important to at least define what it is, define the term, look into why it is important in the process. And none better to discuss this with than J. Dean Carroll. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the world that could discuss this topic better than J. Dean Carroll. He is uh, our legal expert, our, I like this, the week that was contributor, a regular week that was contributor. It sounds like, you know, CNN contributor. Um, So we're going to have J. Dean Carroll on at 9 o'clock to discuss that. It would be interesting. The second involves the rising cost of prescription drugs. There has been a drastic escalation in drug prices. And is it really warranted? Well, Nancy Pelosi has a drug pricing bill that has worked worked its way through the Ways and Means Committee and will likely come to a full House of Representatives vote, or at least hearing, shortly. Um. I want to explain this bill to you. I want to explain my thoughts on this bill. And it may surprise you um, which way I lean on this. Although it shouldn't anymore. I'm I'm a practical guy. But we're going to speak with uh, also Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani. You knew I'd get another Italian guy. I love love interviews with, with names that end in vowels. 
So is Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani, who has been a practicing clinical pharmacist for over 40 years about this legislation from his point of view and whether it will help or hurt in the long run. We may disagree, he and I. Dr. Giorgiani will be on at uh, Live at 10. Two important topics to discuss, so hopefully that'll be interesting to you. I think all of us want to hear about the the uh, both of those subjects. There are other stories from the past week. There's one I definitely have to get to before we go off today, and that is about a dog who stood on the same corner all day for four years waiting for his master to come back. So really, this is a true story. Unbelievable. Amazing story. Tells you a little bit about dogs and animals and how they feel. We're going to also have, obviously, John Bazika with the sports, J. David Russ with the news, Stephen Potter, who uh, I just don't know how he does it. He tries endlessly to keep me under control, and it just doesn't work. And, oh, the trifecta contest, which we've got to get in before 1030 with all the other things we've got going on. Can it happen? I hear that music, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It takes me back to weddings when I was a kid. A couple things come to mind. First, the bride and groom comes out, and you have, everybody has rice and kumbits, hard almond candy, and you start and you, when you're a kid, you don't care. The adults are careful. When you're a kid, you're trying to put the eye out of the groom. You know, you're throwing that rice hard. So people are throwing rice and they're throwing kumbits and you're hitting the guy in the head. Dr. Tamburo, my doctor, bought me some kumbits when I came in for a meeting, too. That was unbelievable. But um, I digressed. And then you go to the Italian Center and... That music is playing. There are ham sandwiches and wax paper flying across the room because people, hey, throw me a sandwich. There's there's kids sliding on the waxed wooden floor in, dre- in suits and stuff. Just, it, it was unbelievable. It, it, it just took me back. I can't believe it. I digressed. Let's do our contest. All right, here's a contest. Here are three answers. Later on the show, not that long because it's only 1030, we will give you the questions. When you, If you match them up, you win a pair of tickets to the Factory of Terror, the Haunted Schoolhouse, and the Haunted Laboratory. All right, so here are your answers for today. It's Motown. First answer is, where did our love go? Where did our love go, Stephen? Where did our love go? Where did our love go? Number two, the temptations. Number three, Stevie Wonder. So where did our love go is number one, the temptations and Stevie Wonder. Those are your answers for today when I give you the questions later on in the show. Not that much later, you're going to win. Uh, if you match them up and I pick you, you'll get the Factory of Terror, Haunted House, and the Haunted Laboratory, 
and a box of kumbits with rice to throw at your next wedding. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Uh, Pam texted me and said, by the way, that uh, the Chinese don't celebrate Halloween, but they celebrate the Festival of Goats. The Festival of Goats? Yeah. So you, I don't know what that is all about. Are you Are you sure it's goats and, well, and let not me, let me read it and again. not something else? Let me read it again. Oh, ghost! <laughs> I was going to say the festival of goats. It's ghost. What happens at the festival of goats? I don't know. They, I guess they. Uh, it's not bad. I was trying to think of something to work that into, and I couldn't think of anything. All right, John, tell me about high school football. Yeah, so you have a lot of teams now that are uh, right at the uh, point of, yes, the point of either being eliminated or into the playoffs. Uh, Some teams have already been eliminated, but here's what I know. McKinley has clinched a playoff spot in Division I. Jackson right now is in the top eight on Joe Itell's unofficial rankings. but Top eight where? Like in Division One? No, but I mean, are they eight? No, they're seven. Or they're wait, what are they? They were six. So they'd play McKinley right now as it stands. Okay. In the opening round, All so right. we'd get McKinley Jackson again. Um, in D two, Maslin and Perry have both clinched playoff games. Even with home. the loss, Perry, yeah, clinched. Okay. home games wow. for both teams, according to Joe Itell. All right. Uh, and then the other teams that are all kind of just. Floating at this point, if they win this week, they're in. Basically, all of these teams. Uh, St. Thomas, Jackson, Hoover, Alliance, and Sandy Valley. So They they all pretty much control their own destiny. So we could only have maybe four teams from Stark County in the playoffs? Could be. Four teams are set right now. Three teams are set right now. That's it? That's it. Wow. That's all that is in, in... Usually at this time, we have seven locks. I know. I know. And this year, it's a lot different. I mean, I would say this. I think St. Thomas is a pretty safe bet. They control their own destiny. They play uh, Canton South this week, who's really kind of struggling. Yeah, at this point. And St. Thomas has gotten better as the season has gone along. So I, I think they're a pretty safe bet to be in the playoffs. Jackson plays Hoover. Yeah, so the winner of that game will most likely be in the playoffs, but the winner of that game most likely gets a really tough first round game. They have to either, you know, go to Mentor or um in the case of Hoover, they'd be playing against either Maslin or Hoban probably. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's gonna be a, a dog fight for either of those teams. Alliance, if they win, they could be in, but it's the same case. They'll probably be going to Maslin. So it's like, you know, you get in and that's immediately what you have to face. There's no there's no room to think, you know, what if we get to, to play somebody who we could beat? That's Well, but you get to play again. You do. There's you always, do. That's the thing. Your season's not over, and there's always a chance. It's the same deal with Sandy Valley, though. Even if they get in, I was looking at it this morning, and I think the best that they could finish, according to his projected rankings, would be eighth in their region, so and that would have one. them playing Kirtland. All right. Well. And then other teams that are on the bubble that have, like, Outside chances if everything goes their way, Lake, Northwest, Marlington, and Central. Yeah, but those are... But everything, like I'm talking like four teams need to lose and they need to win. Yeah, and the 
the sun needs to come up at nine o'clock in the evening. Well, I mean, if it's like, if it's in Japan. By the way, next week you're going to be um, at Jersey's. Yeah, you'll be hosting the show. I, I will be. be in China. It's going to be the day that is. The day that is the McKinley Maslin pregame show that we do every year from Jersey's. And we've got some exciting stuff planned. You got good guests. Yeah, we will obviously all of the the broadcast crews will be there, so we'll hear from Dan Belford and Mark Miller and Elmer who's with me and Kenny and anybody you Rich can, Eisen? Uh no, Rich okay. Rich couldn't make it. All uh right. But we'll also have a uh, former McKinley quarterback from the 60s in uh, Ted Bauer socks, and we got a former Masson player in Bill Perini. From, from, from the 40s? From the 1960s. Wow. So they're going to join us from 8.30 to 9.30, and they're going to talk about their memories of playing in the game. They're going to talk about uh, what the game meant to them growing up. We're going to get the, the inside perspective. No! Of people deep, that, we're gonna get deep. I, I, I'm talking. We are. You're gonna get into the political ramifications of this game. Well, I wasn't gonna mention that. Okay, good. I, uh, you know what? It'll be. Um, I'm just letting you know that ten o'clock on uh, ten o'clock or nine o'clock on Saturday morning. Mm-hmm will be 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. in China. So I may call. I may just call from China, from Guangzhou. You should. I'm going to call from Guangzhou at 9 o'clock in the, at night in China. Do you get, do you get free, free minutes over there? I doubt it. Got to be careful what I say. Don't ask any questions. I mean, you could ask questions, but... So if I ask you what you think of the Maslin-McKinley game... Oh, I could do that, and they don't care about that. And then you hear, like, in the background, like, whoop, whoop, we got him. Yeah. We don't like Maslin here. Um, (laughs) In China, yeah. I uh, Wow, it really does span worldwide. I know. I was going to... You know, that would be a great question to ask people. What do you think about the Maslin-McKinley game in China? I wonder if I could find anybody. Denny's brother's in China. Taiwan. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. Taiwan, Tim. <laughs> I forgot. It's a little bit different. Yeah. All right, so I, I may call in. You just should. China. You should. Just drop. All of a sudden, you're going to get a call. It's Joe from China. Just act like you're a regular caller. Don't even act like you're you. How do I do that? I don't know. Who's got a voice like me? Except for... Joe Bugner or something. <clears throat> well, maybe the guy that you have on later, Salvatore. G- Giorgiani, I bet yeah. he's got a better voice than me, too. Anyway, uh, I who doesn't? Who you doesn't? Voice? You, have a, you have a fine voice. I have a, I have a, um, um, I, I'm, I'm not made for radio voice. Not like you. Not like Dave Sheet. Not like Dan Belford. Not like Kenny Rhoda. I've got more of a JT voice. You know, Deep Throat probably had a great voice for radio. He actually, Liam Neeson. Yeah, Liam Neeson played Deep Throat in the movie. He had a good voice. He has a good voice. 
I could just see that if if Liam Neeson got like his. How'd porn. you get in the deep throat? I got a text from my dad. He said deep throat. <laughs> I was no, I was I was thinking, what if what if what if Liam Neeson? Actually, I got, so I just your dad you, just sends you texts and you just read them. Off. Well, no, no, he was saying you has a good voice. He was saying deep throat. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right, good. Let's go to break. I was gonna say, what if Liam Neeson like mixed his movies, like he was doing Deep Throat, but then he started reading the script to Taken, and he was like, "I have a very particular set of skills." <laughs> Do you get this? You didn't see Taken. <laughs> you didn't see Taken. I don't. I, I didn't see Taken. No. 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 I didn't see Taken. I didn't watch it. I I've seen Frozen. Not even I've seen Frozen. How have you seen Frozen? I watched Frozen. I'm a guy. I, I I cried. The one that's like Let It Go. That one. Yeah, the... I cried. I cried at the credits. You had me at hello. Oh my god. We gotta go. When we come back, I'm gonna ask you a question, John. Is it sports related? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm not going to talk about anything else. I'm saving that for Dean Carroll. Stay tuned. Dean Carroll just flashed back to the 70s. He is in here dancing. He is John Revolting. John Revolting? That's a good one. (laughs) What? All right. All right, John, I want to ask you this question. All right. If you looked at all the running backs right now, currently in the NFL, yes, who would be a shoe in? Name the one who you think would be a shoe in for the Hall of Fame. Chuck. Right now, right now in the NFL today, yeah. I mean, based solely on the fact of Just... statistics over a career, I would say Adrian Peterson. Ah, I knew you'd say that. You never think of Frank Gore, would you? No. Frank Gore has been playing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. 14, 15, 15 years running back. You said Frank Gore? Yeah, I said 15 years. Yeah, okay. I didn't hear you. I have my headsets on and you don't. That's Dean comes in here and starts just right away. I love you. I missed you. You're like my brother. It's like talking to my brother. Anyway, Frank Gore's been in the league 15 years. You know where he ranks all time in yardage? I know it's top five. Four. Number four, Emmett Smith, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Frank Gore. Frank Gore is ahead of everybody. He's ahead of... of Adrian Peterson? Yeah. He's a lock. I didn't realize this. When I started looking at Frank Gore, he's a guy that nobody ever thinks about, nobody ever mentions, but has had an unbelievable, I mean, 15 years is like dog years oh, in absolutely. the NFL for a running back. Well, that's the thing is that, I mean, you think about all the great running backs that are in the Hall of Fame, and most of them, the majority of them, did not have longevity. I mean, Jim Brown was not in the league very long. No. Walter Payton, I think, was in the league a little bit longer than Jim Brown, about 12 years, I want to say. 
But in the case of like a Gail Sayers, Terrell Davis, who was just put in a couple years ago, you know, Barry of, Sanders, yeah, a lot of those guys. I mean, they had they had four or five excellent years, and then ran into injuries or just got beat up too much, and and it took him out of the league. So yeah, the fact that he's playing in year fifteen and still, and still producing, still doing it at a pretty high level. Says a lot about who he is. All right, now here's the next thing I wanted to talk to you about real quick. What do you want to talk about, by the way? You look like frustrated. No, 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 no. Here's no, the other I, thing. I, I, Isn't the NFL becoming like a a gulag? Isn't it becoming like China or Russia? The government they're they're suppressing free speech in their players. They find them. Think about this. What happened every time someone talks about Clay Matthews, Baker Mayfield, Tracy Walker, everybody. I'm reading the Constitution. The Constitution allows free speech. Can I answer this question? Yeah. Okay. It is a private entity. It is not bound by the Constitution. So they could not bound by the First Amendment. So, but they could say if a guy if officiating stinks in the NFL, let's admit that it stinks. It's terrible. Yes, it is at an all time worst. And. So people come out and talk about it. Players aren't allowed to talk about it. They're fined for doing so. Right, because they can do that. They're not bound by the First Amendment, number one. Number two, They're fine. If, you're, if you're in a foreign country and you violate that foreign country's laws, you're subject to criminal liability. I'm glad you told me that because I'm going leaving for China. Well, if you're going to leave for China, be careful what you do and what you say. I will. Because it's not an open society. It's a repressive regime. I'm not stealing any towels from the hotel. Don't steal any posters, don't steal any towels, and don't say anything negative about the Chinese government. I promise you I will. Because your First Amendment protection uh, ends at its border. Really? Uh, no. Really? Truly? Yes. Don't say this. My wife's listening. She's already she worried going that with I'm you? going. No. Oh, thank God. But she's already worried that I'm going there. <laughs> oh, I, I think the Chinese should be worried that you're going there. <laughs> I think the the the... Com- competitors that are going against me should be worried that I'm going there. What are you competing on? Kung Fu. I'm in you, a tournament. Are you serious? I swear. Well, you do have the bald head. I know, and I have the little goatee. Is that what that is? Yeah. So that'll be great. I mean, oh, I'll you're, fit right you're gonna in. Be, you're going to be fantastic for an 80-year-old. <laughs> you know what, though? If they put you in age groups, which I don't think they will, but if they put you in age groups, I'm worse off because the older guys in the system, are better. They're better. There's 80-year-old guys that would just wipe the floor with me. So I, I don't know how that's going to be. I'm I'm impressed well, that... He that, walks around with that. That Mr. Caro here comes in with... Mr. Caro? <laughs> with, I'm, I'm, I'm being... He carries that everywhere, the con- pocket constitution. He carries constitution. a constitution with that's him. That's the man. Doesn't everybody? No. Well, oh, those who can memorize it don't, but I can't memorize it. You memorize it, John? Yeah, he does. Oh, I know it word by words. All right, what's the first word? <laughs> we. We, yeah. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, I don't know. Do you, have, do you have one more sports question? Do you have anything else? Like any, any anything else you want to talk about? All right, about? with the game tomorrow, the Browns. The Browns? Oh, okay. Well, this... Can they win? Yes, they can win. Will they win? Probably not, but they can win. Dean, why are you? Wait, are you serious? What? In theory, they can win, but in practicality, in reality, they don't have a chance. 
I don't. They always have a chance. No, no. Everybody it's, has a it's, chance. It's, it's That's point a terrible 1%. way to look at life. Well, it's reality. I will oh, say this. Brady, what are you kidding me? I will say this. Since the Browns returned in 1999, and probably in the last like 10 to 12 years, every time they've played the Patriots, it has been a close game or the Browns have won the game. In a surprising way. So that's because point. that's because the Patriots play the second string. Hmm. No, they give them they some beat, experience. No, they beat Brady. The hey, one how time. about this? So Bill Belichick is we, looking. We for, had him as a coach. Am I correct? Yes, and we fired him. Yes, but uh-huh. now listen, Bill Belichick has the opportunity to win his three hundredth game tomorrow. Hence my point against the team that fired him. Yes, you think that's incentive? I don't think he cares. Oh, Although he, cares. he is a historian, no, he's a competitor. Yeah, but also I look at it like this. Who does tomorrow's game mean more to? If the Browns go in and lose, they need a lot to go their way the rest of the season. They got they got an easy they got an easy schedule the rest of the way. Their schedule changes after this game, their schedule changes dramatically. But, but I still think in order for the Browns to achieve what they what they set out to Probably when the year started, I think they need to be four and four at the midway point. Browns are going to win. Browns I think are going to win tomorrow, tomorrow. Needs to be. Browns are going to win tomorrow I, unless they're playing the uh, New England cheerleaders. They are not going to. New win. New England doesn't have cheerleaders. Oh, uh, do they? They do have cheerleaders, but uh, unless they're playing the cheerleaders, they're not going to win. Or or maybe flag football. I think you're being cynical. I think I'm being being uh, real. Okay. And and this is not my expertise. You understand this. No, it is your expertise. No, it's not. You like to think it isn't, but even though you, he, you're carrying around a pocket constitution, and in your other pocket you have a pocket NFL schedule. No, I do not. I know Mr. you Bozico, do. Go ahead. It's your, it's your bull. It's in your court. <laughs> He's speechless. He's dumbfounded. He doesn't know what to say. <laughs> ah, that's twice today we've gotten him. <laughs> I feel like I'm just assault. You're being assaulted. I feel like I'm just I'm peppered over here. Just I don't even know. That's okay. It'll be okay. Hey, when in between come, you two, when we come back, we have to talk. We're going to talk impeachment. We're going to talk what it means, what it's about. Why is it even used, Dean? This doesn't. It it never works. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It's a kabuki dance. It's Kabuki Theater. We'll talk about it when we come back. Joy, rapture. (laughs) I am honored, humbled, in reverence of my next guest. J. Dean Carroll, our uh, legal expert, constitutional expert, just an expert. Just that kind of a guy, the expert kind of a guy. You know, the other thing is, Dean, you explain things at a very, um, at a, I was going to say a very low level, but that sounds really bad. Pretty bad. But you, but you describe things and talk through things at a level that all of us can understand. So thank you for being with me. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure having you. I, um, you know, we're looking at impeachment. Um, first explain what is impeachment sure what does it really mean i have to correct you i am not an expert in the field i i understand it a little bit but i'm not an expert and second if you if you think about 
radio and TV shows on this issue, there's all one-liners. It's just, you know, throwaway sentences, partisan statements. Your audience should really appreciate the fact that you've insisted that we have an objective, nonpartisan historical discussion about impeachment. That doesn't happen a lot. So that's to your credit. I mean, as much as I make fun of you, that's that's to your credit. Uh, When you think about impeachment, you have to think about initially, why did we have it in the Constitution? Why do we have the Constitution? We had just come off of a war, the Revolutionary War, with a tyrant. So the entire Constitution is designed with a view toward preventing a tyrant from having power or preventing the consolidation of power. And the way we do that is we create three branches of government. Article 1, 2, and 3. Article 1 is Congress. Article 2 is the executive. Article 3 is the judicial. Within each branch, there are checks and balances. Between each branch, there are checks and balances. For example, Congress passes uh, bills and authorizes the payments. The executive has to put those into effect. The Supreme Court of the United States evaluates those acts, those statutes. So there's that check, check and balance. So when we think about that, that has to be our constant uh, recourse to go back to that. The phrases that are in the Constitution are bribery, treason, and high crimes and misdemeanors. Bribery is taking money for personal advantage. So I I go to the President of the United States and I say, here's a million dollars for you. I need this statute passed. I need this act passed. That's bribery. Treason. Treason is more specific. It's, it's uh, defined as only in levying war against the United States or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. That, that's specifically defined. In fact, it's the only crime defined in the United States Constitution. The more problematic term is high crimes and misdemeanors. People are misinterpreting that right and left. It doesn't mean a crime. It does not mean a crime. The, the foundation for that basis does not have to be criminal activity. Rather, it's a phrase borrowed from English common law, which is, you know, our forebears, right? So when we think about that phrase, it it means an abuse of discretion, an abuse of office. That's all it means. Mm -hmm. And, And in large measure, it is a political decision. Jerry Ford sought to get the impeachment of William Douglas on the Supreme Court. And when asked what impeachment meant, he said impeachment means whatever Congress says it's going to mean. There's no definition for what high crimes and misdemeanors must be based upon. Okay. So it's largely a political decision. And, and the, the practicality of it is it is a process designed to remove a duly elected president, designed to remove a duly elected president when that president abuses, to this state, his discretion. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Does impeachment apply to any Elected official? No. Um, a- any civil official, the president, and uh, the vice president. So uh, you can't go like Secretary of State, something like that? N- well, that's a civil official, sure. Okay. So you can impeach anyone who is in an administration? Pretty much, yes. Okay. Yes. Now, for example, as well, uh, there have been impeachments of uh, Supreme Court attempted impeachments and successful uh, Supreme Court justices because they're a civil official. Okay. Now, when when you talk about bribes, and it's interesting because the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, you said your your example was, I'm going to give you a million dollars, but I would like this statute done. Correct. 
and the and the president would keep the money. Right. Right. So, in other words, using it the way they do get around that now, kind of, is I'm going to give a million dollars to your campaign, well, but I, I would like this. I would like you to be favorable towards this. Well, a- anything that direct would be a would be a problem. So if you're if you're clever and you want to give money to a party, Democratic or Republican, you don't say anything, and you don't need to say anything. Because they know what your interest is. So if I'm big pharma, you know, pharmaceutical companies, and I give you a million dollars, you know what I want. I don't have to say it. I'm glad you brought that up because we're going to have, at 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about big pharma. Um, all right, so let me, uh, there have been four impeachments of presidents. Four? Four. Correct? Where, where do you get four? All right, Johnson. Johnson. Clinton. Clinton. And Nixon. That's it, three. Three. There's only three. Okay. And so you, there have been three, and none of them have resulted in conviction. Yes. So when you, when you look at each of those historically, if you look at, let's take Johnson. Um, Johnson was from Tennessee. He was brought in by Lincoln to balance the ticket. Tennessee was a border state. It was a, basically a southern state, right. but it had not committed to the secession. Um, reputedly, Johnson was an alcoholic. He shows up at the inauguration. He's intoxicated. He can't speak. They literally pull him down stop him from from speaking he was also from a slave-owning family and he tried to cultivate the southerners by placating them by by agreeing to things that they wanted so that put him in an opposite position to congress which was really uh, uh, the majority of those people were called r- radical republicans and they were aligned with lincoln obviously and so they resisted his efforts to do what he wanted to do which was primarily Eliminate Reconstruction of the South. Lincoln, Lincoln's goal was to have Reconstruction, a, a, um, uh, a, a uprising, an uprising of the South after the Civil War. He uh, he resisted that by laws by taking people out. So, for example, uh, Ulysses S. Grant was the uh, military commander. He would he would not let Grant do certain things, and the Congress got upset with that. The second thing that bothered them was there was this uh, Tenure of Office Act which prevented uh, from 1867 to 1887 the president from removing members of his cabinet without the advice, yeah, without the advice and consent of Congress. Now, that has since been repealed, and that was probably unconstitutional because the Constitution says the president does that. But he removed Stanton, who was a secretary of war under Lincoln, a a beloved guy. Mm -hmm. And so Congress sees that, and they, they start the impeachment process, which starts in the House. There doesn't have to be a resolution. There is just an an investigation, and and that can be done. That's done by the majority of the of the Congress. But the they did impeach him in the yeah. House. What they did was they issued the articles of impeachment. Articles of impeachment were issued against Clinton as well. Mm-hmm. You have two different circumstances. Clinton was he lied before the grand jury. He lied in deposition under oath. Dumb things to do. Right. But what happened in both Johnson and Clinton's position was. They were they the articles of impeachment were issued by the House. The case then is tried in the Senate. Right. The House has to uh, uh, approve the articles of impeachment by a majority, which is gonna it's gonna happen because they have a majority. The pr- the balance, the check and balance is to convict in the Senate. You need two thirds. Right. Now that's gonna be awfully hard to do. In Johnson's case, he wa- he avoided conviction by one vote. Clinton's was different. He, he easily he easily avoided conviction. 
the Nixon case is very important here. Nixon has articles of impeachment levied against him, but he resigns. Why does he resign? Because his fellow party members come to him and say, you're going to be impeached and you're going to be convicted. Take the easy way out. Take the way out that Agnew took. Agnew resigned. Now, he did get convicted of crimes. Nixon resigned, which blunted the impeachment effort. Ford becomes president. Ford pardons him. You know, that's illustrative. That, that, that's a good example of the potential that could happen here. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 well, we need to take a break, don't we? Let's take a quick break, and we'll come sure. back. We'll continue this discussion. This is very good. This is very interesting. Stay tuned. We are continuing our discussion about impeachment with J.D. and Carol, giving us a historical uh, perspective on this that I, I absolutely love. But I, I have to get into this. I, as If this continues, and what has happened is, I'll read you a quote. Some Democrats had hoped that this would be a narrow probe, focused on whether Trump put uh, on ice efforts to bolster relations with Ukraine and provide U.S. military aid to the country until it carried out thorough uh, investigation in, in a political favor uh, in this situation. Now, it has become more complicated. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who is leading the probe, and Adam Schiff, both have refused to put a specific timeline on the investigation. They It, it, it keeps widening. So... It starts to look, Dean, like Robert Mueller all over again, where he went in with a specific thing, and then next thing you know, it was going off in all kinds of directions and lasted two years and really essentially did nothing um, except convict some people. The longer this goes, it starts to look political. Why can't they focus on this subject alone, figure out what what went on, make a charge, impeach, and move it along? They could, but but it is a political process. It, it is not no, but criminal. I mean it looks no, it does. It look looks like, like it's tainted by it politics. It is. It is a political. It is a political process. It is governed by no rules. <laughs> there are no rules in the Constitution for how this has to proceed. As Jerry Ford said, it's a political process. It, it is whatever we think it is. So what's happening is, uh, similar to Mueller, the Mueller investigation, they start at one place and information is revealed to them. For, for example, in the Watergate case, right, um, Nixon allows the burglary to go ahead and covers it up. Remember? Yeah. You were, you were three years old at the time. No, I wasn't. And so, and so what we see is they subpoena, Congress subpoenas a guy named Butterfield, a White House aide. And as an, a throwaway remark, he says, and by the way, you, we record everything in the Oval Office. And, and just like you did, they shook their heads saying, really? Okay, so, th- so the point is, they were investigating one thing, all of a sudden they find all this other stuff, which reveals the cover-up. But it was, still goes back to the, it still went back to the one thing. Well, but it, it has um, variations of that theme. Yes. And, that, and that's what every impeachment has. So the Johnson impeachment, there are variations on the theme. But once the House begins to investigate, there are no rules. They can subpoena anybody. For example, again, they subpoenaed the White House tapes after learning of their existence from Butterfield. That case went to the United States Supreme Court, U.S. versus Nixon. The United States Supreme Court says, you got to give it. 
you you have no executive privilege unless there is a national security discussion. Just because the president has a discussion with a person or an entity does not vest it with executive privilege. There okay. has to be a, a very clear national security risk. So, uh, so the but the point of that is it can go anywhere, and it could go as long as it needs. Uh, it, politically, it won't. Because the effort by the Democrats right now is, is twofold. Number one, to issue articles of impeachment, which don't require a House resolution. Right. Uh, and number two, to put before the American electorate, before the election, all these supposedly bad things that uh, the 45th president has done. Okay. But it's purely political. It is not, it's not a trial. It's not an indictment. It's no, not but, a it, but it, becomes a, it becomes a show. It's not a show. And it becomes a, as it goes longer, it looks to me like I, I, whatever happens, happens. But, you know, when you keep bringing people and it's in the news and your whole talk and everything that's going on in Washington is about this and you keep bringing people in and you talk about closed-door hearings and, and bringing hearings to the front and who's going to get it, it starts to stink it doesn't look like to me it, it doesn't look like it's they want to come to an end on this it looks like they want to keep it out in front of the american people you you have to understand what i'm saying this is purely a political process it is it is not like an indictment, not like a trial. It is what you're suggesting. It is a political process. The The power lies with the Democrats in the House. They can do whatever they want in pursuing the impeachment. Having said that, I think this is the worst thing for any, for the United States at any point in time in its history to have an impeachment because it diverts attention from very important matters. Yes. So for, I agree with you. So for example, I mean, we have issues on immigration we have to resolve. We have, we have issues with our allies, our military. We should be focusing on that. But the Constitution says if the House sees these issues, it really has a constitutional obligation to explore them to their final, to their final end, whatever that may be. Okay. And take as long as they want. Uh, I mean, sure, they could take as long as I they mean, want. I mean, they won't. This could go a year. Oh, no, no way. No way. They want to get this out of the House by, by year's end. Because they want the ability to say, look at what this person has done. I think they want the ability to say, we're going to continue this all the way through the election. That would be unlikely. All right. It could, but it would be unlikely. Yeah. We're going to, we got to take another break. When we come back, we're going to continue with J.D. and Carol right after this. Stay tuned. Okay, we are wrapping up with J.D. and Carol, and I thank him always. Um, good friend. and uh, Really, you, you are a great person. You are a good man. Uh, There's a lot of people who would disagree with that. I don't care. Doesn't matter. I'm sticking <laughs> that, to my and that's guns. just in my own family. Uh, <laughs> well, I feel the same about that. I uh, I wanted to get into uh, you, you know the the interesting thing of all this is I think the one thing that I take from this conversation is that I have been saying all along that this smells political, <laughs> and you said it is. It is. And you have reinforced that multiple times to me. Correct. And, I, and it finally sunk in. Well, it's, it's political in the sense that there's nothing in the Constitution that says how this has to operate. That's why I keep going back to history, to Johnson, to Nixon, to Clinton. That's, those are our only guides. And, and the guides are really revealing to us. For example, 
one of the three counts against Nixon, in addition to Watergate and using the FBI to get his enemies, was his refusal to honor subpoenas. He refused to honor subpoenas Mm -hmm. issued by Congress. Mm -hmm. That became a violation of the separation of powers. Okay. Now, turning to your other issue, you mentioned Ukraine. We always, as a government, we always use aid for political purposes, but they're governmental political purposes. So if we say to you, we're going to give you you know, $400 million, we need you to clean up your human rights record. Right. Well, they're going to do that. Right. The, the allegation here is it was done for individual purposes. And the, the, the stupid part of the whole thing, is that it didn't involve a cabinet member or anybody. It involved his personal attorney <laughs> doing the negotiations on this, which I thought was absolute well, stupidness, just uh, crazy. I, I, um, I have my personal views on You're talking about uh, the former mayor, Giuliani. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, he's violated almost every norm for lawyers. Uh, he he now has become personally involved, that is subjectively involved. And it's really sad because Rudy Giuliani, to me, uh, his history and the things that he has done in the past as far as, you know... The, the U.S. attorney. Yeah. He's was, done some great things. Oh, uh, phenomenal. As a young lawyer, he was brave. He was uh, very intelligent. Uh, he he attacked the mob in New York City yeah. for the Southern District. Which I hated. As mayor. Well... No, I'm because they're some of your relatives. <laughs> but uh, he was also a, a really phenomenal mayor. He cleaned up Times Square, uh, and he and he put New York on a on a good path. Yeah. But I think something has happened in the interim, in the decades since that. Well, uh, and he says things that are inconsistent within the same interview. He's taking a subjective, active role in certain activities. If he's your lawyer, you don't want that. You want him to be objective. I agree. So if I if you're my client. And you ask me what to do in a certain circumstance, I I don't tell you what to do. I tell you what the law is. Yeah. That's it. And I I agree with that. So, And now, here's what we've got going on, Dean, and just to kind of wrap this up. We've got this impeachment going on. We don't know the direction it's going to go, and it seems to be consuming Washington, D.C. Sadly. But on the same side, on the other side, now you've got uh, the – Department of Justice opening up a criminal investigation on Clapper, on Brennan, on Mueller. They're looking at the Mueller investigation. They're, what they're looking at is is the beginning correct. of it. That's correct. And so now they're starting their own criminal investigation. Sure. Sure. Caught Clapper off guard the other day. He was on Anderson Cooper, and Anderson Cooper brought up that. You're under criminal investigation now. And he stammered for about 30 seconds, basically didn't know it was happening. So would I. So would you. Yeah. And so now you've got one side, you've got a criminal investigation into the beginnings of the Mueller investigation and why it took place. You've got an impeachment going on. And like you said during break, we've got immigration problems. We've got... Uh, problems with with Syria and our allies and everything else over there in the Middle East. We've got everything going on in the world. You've got protests all over the world in an unprecedented rate right now. And and you have, if you want to look at the world, the international setting, you've got a rise of uh, fascist activities, a rise of right-wing leaders. 
The, the world, we're, if you hearken back to history, if you go back to the 1920s and 1930s, it's replaying. You, ha- you have uncertainty post-World War I. You have serious problems. And what, what happens with human beings is they look for the easy solution. When you get Mussolini, who says, I'm going to solve your problems. I'm going to make the trains go on I'm time. I'm going to make the trains go on time. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, I'm going to do all kinds of wonderful things. I'm going to solve our problems. Uh, Hitler, Hitler's model is Mussolini. Yes. And so people want safety and security. Benjamin Franklin said, look, if, if your choice is between security and freedom and you choose security, you'll get neither security nor freedom. True. And that's the issue that's, that we're facing. That, that needs to be addressed. And we're not addressing it. No, we're not really doing anything. We're not paying much. these people to do because they're both. It's it's this constant battle, and and the other part of it is I, I I wanted to mention is I think over the last two or three administrations, the administrative branch, the executive branch, the executive branch. I'm sorry, has worked very hard to usurp the power from Congress and from the Supreme Court. Not really usurping. Congress has has delegated power to the executive branch. That's one of the big issues here today. Over the course of several decades, Congress has given the executive the authority to do some of the things the executives have done over the last three terms. I mean, the, 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 the presidential... Um, I'm trying to think of when a president just I, I can't think of the term right now for war, some the war reason. powers act no no the uh, the the ability to almost create law well they do create law by by going beyond Congress and just making it right. a presidential edict but that's because Congress in a, a multitude of statutes has vested the executive with the authority so they do, need to, to take that. that back well one would one would suggest that and and what I'm saying to you is if you look at the original, the original reason for the Constitution, article, Articles 1, 2, and 3, the branches, Congress has, on its own, given authority that the executive doesn't have under the Constitution. It's created an imbalance. And if they want to restore that balance, they have to do what you're suggesting. Wow. This is not an... We're in interesting times. Well, that's a Chinese curse. Maybe you live <laughs> in interesting times. That's not a good thing. No. But, but what you're suggesting is entirely true. We are... I understand why we're diverting our attention. I understand the House's view of its constitutional obligation. But it's nonetheless a bad thing for our society because it diverts our attention from very serious issues that are not being really fundamentally addressed here. Yeah, I don't think we've we've had anything about laws or about... There's nothing moving forward. This, this Congress and the one before were one of the least active Congresses in the history of the United States. And all they do is fight. And, that, and that's going to be the, ter- the pivotal point is going to be people are going to have to realize that fighting and lack of civility gets us nowhere. Bingo. You know, in the, in, the, in the land where an eye for an eye is the rule of law, you eventually end up with everybody blind. <laughs> and it's so true. And it's so true. We've, we've lost. And, and I hope that... Uh, in the next six months or a year or something, that maybe we could have a panel to discuss from different viewpoints where we need to be talking red and blue with civility. I I don't think that's going to be coming very soon. 
Yeah. And sadly, uh, very sadly. Now, if you want to make me emperor, I can solve a lot of these problems. I would do but, that. Uh, no, no, I don't I think be, you'd be a good I emperor. I would be corrupt. No, I would be corrupted by absolute power. Yeah, so would true. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Don't make me emperor. <laughs> Dean, thank you so much. Good as luck always. in your kung fu. Thank you. He's he's competing in a kung fu competition in China. Yeah. And I've told him to say nothing. I'm not to going say to say nothing anything. about China. I'm not. No comment. It'll be yes, sir. No, sir. Right. Thank you, please. Because I'm not licensed in China. I can't come there and save you. No. I'll okay. be I'll be fine. Be good. And you're scaring my wife again. Uh, well, <laughs> she should be already be afraid. I'll be fine. Don't do that. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. Thank you, Jim. Love you. Take care. Love you too, man. Bye-bye. All right, we got to do our contest now because I don't want to be pushed up against the end. Nobody's going to call. <laughs> They're not used to it. They always got, I think people, you know what, I'm just, good, Stephen, we'll wait a minute. I'm get, not going to give it away. And then you could go to the Factory of Terror. How's that? We'll do that. Um. What's your name, please? Nate. N- Nate? Yeah. Do you have the answers, Nate? Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the question is. All right. Nate, Nate I can't do this. I might know it if you tell me the answers. I, I can't tell you the answers. No, that I do what, what the question is. I might have them. All right, I'm going to give you one question. If you can get the first one, you're good. I can't tell you the answers. Which group had their first U.S. number one Billboard chart in ni- chart number one on the Billboard chart in 1965 with my, the song "My Girl"? No, thanks, man. Let's go to caller number one. What's your name, please? Hello. Hello. Yes. What's your name? DJ. DJ, how are you, DJ? Oh, fine. I'm hearing you on the radio and hearing you on the phone. Well, then turn the radio down. You're talking to Nate. Yeah, I was talking to Nate. (laughs) DJ, you ready? Yes. Okay. The Supremes are the first female group that signed with Motown Records. What was their first number one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 chart? Did you get the answers? Uh, let's see. Did you get the answers earlier? No, no. Okay, you're not going to get this, uh, DJ. Got to go, man. All right, what's your, what's your name, please? Uh, Marion. Marion. Marion? Right. All right, Marion, you ready? You got the answers? Yeah, I got the answers. Here, uh, yeah. All right, here we go. This is good. All right, the Supreme's first hit was what? Where did I love go? There you go. You remember that? Yeah, I do. That's a great song. Uh, Which group had their first U.S. number one billboard hit, My Girl? The Temptations. Very good. Who recorded You Are the Sunshine of My Life in 1972? Stevie Wonder. Very good. Marion, you won. You won a uh, pair of tickets to the Haunted schoolhouse the factory of terror and the haunted laboratory thank you joe you're welcome sir i'm going to put you on hold have a nice day and god bless you god bless you too
Thank you so much. I'm going to put you on hold. Don't hang up. Stephen's going to get your information. You can come in and get your tickets. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Hold on. All right. We did it. We gave it away. Wow, that's interesting. We had two callers that didn't really hear the questions, but they called in. Um, but didn't have it. All right. We're going to switch gears when we come back. We're going to um, Nancy Pelosi, and I'm going to get into this, uh, pushed through as pushing through through the House a drug pricing bill. It already passed through the House Ways and Means Committee. The bill essentially would... Uh, allow Medicare to negotiate lower prices on as many as 250 of the most expensive drugs per year and apply those discounts to private health plans across the U.S. The bill also includes a penalty on drug makers that refuse to negotiate or fail to reach an agreement with the U.S. government starting at 65% of the gross sales of the drug in question. Now, the drug companies and their lobbies, Big Pharma, are pushing back, saying that this will cause the United States and cause these companies to lose the, uh, the ability for research and development, to develop new drugs, to develop better drugs, that the reason these prices are so high is because the money is needed for for research and development, for continuing to develop new drugs. It is true that 90% of the drugs that that are started don't even make it to the first trial phase. I agree with that. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of research and development trial and error that goes into drugs, to making and bringing drugs to market. But there are many drugs such as insulin that aren't going to get really that much different, that have risen dramatically. One dose of insulin averages about three hundred dollars a vial. A vial. Now, insulin isn't going to change that much. It doesn't take a whole lot of R&D. Why is it going up? Because people need it. And because there is an increase in diabetes. Now, I'm going to have a, a, a doctor on, Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani, when we come back. And he is a... 40-year career as a practicing clinical pharmacist. He is an advocate for better health services and resources. And we're going to talk about this because I'm going to tell you this right now, and I told you it would maybe surprise you. But I agree with Nancy Pelosi on this. People are paying too much for drugs. They're too high. And, And the and these pharmaceutical companies are making mil- billions of dollars profit 
profit. When we come back, we're going to have Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani on, and we're going to talk about your prescription medicines. Stay tuned. Nancy Pelosi has a bill uh, which would allow Medicare to negotiate lower prices on as many as 250 of the most expensive drugs that we, we pay for per year and apply those discounts to the private health care plans across the country. <clears throat> the bill uh, would also include penalties on drug makers that refuse to negotiate or fail to reach an agreement with the U.S. government starting at 65% of the gross sales of the drugs in question, all those drugs. Now, we have with us today Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani. Dr. Salvatore Giorgiani has been a, a clinical practicing pharmacist for 40-plus years. Uh, he is a senior science advisor for the Men's Health Network. He has been on the faculty of uh, both Columbia University and Belmont University and has authored over 70 peer-reviewed general media articles in healthcare and health policy. None better than to speak to Dr. Giorgiani about this subject. And thank you for being with us this morning, Dr. Giorgiani. Joe, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. I, I uh, Now, you've been practicing, you've been a, a clinical pharmacist practicing for 40 years, over 40 years. You've you've probably you've probably think, seen thousands of people who haven't been able to get or use medicine that is crucial to their health. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. It, it's a real dilemma. Men's Health Network is as worried about uh, medication pricing as anybody. And when you look at this, uh, I will tell you that I, I'm not in favor usually in the government controlling pricing on on anything. But in this case, I feel it's justified. What do you think of this bill? Well, we Men's Health Network, and I'll represent Men's Health Network as my own opinion, you know, interposed in there. Um, we we really do think that drug pricing needs to be examined and then negotiated. What we're concerned about, really, is the methods uh, and some of the draft legislation that, uh, that's that been proposed and you know, some of the talk about what folks want to do, we're concerned that it's going wrong, in the wrong direction. Why is that? Um, well, one of the proposals, and I was listening to your very, very good intro before I got on uh, the phone with you, uh, is it's not really, uh, the focus isn't at this point on negotiation of prices. Uh, good old-fashioned negotiating of contracts, is, we think, uh, an appropriate uh, approach to managing drug prices. Uh, what but, we're seeing, though, is the proposals floating around um, are looking to set what they euphemistically call arbitration boards, uh, where a government committee will look at a market basket of medications, uh, the 200 medications you mentioned in your intro is the proposed plan, uh, from outside the United States. Uh, and they will uh, cherry-pick the countries. Uh, we don't know how that's going to be done. We haven't seen any proposal about that. We're concerned that if you look at the developed countries versus uh, underdeveloped countries or 
uh, countries who have absolutely no research and development uh, costs or uh, government-supported pharmaceutical industries, uh, that you're going to get a false reading on the actual uh, appropriate cost of medication. So uh, the, the way we understand this is going down from Speaker Pelosi, uh, the woman who brought us the uh, ACA Act, you got to see what's in it, you got to pass it before you see what's in it. Right. Uh, is uh, and that's unfortunate because it's another big chunk of healthcare. Yeah. Uh, uh, that a appointed bureaucrat uh, and a committee uh, that is not accountable to any particular uh, agency uh, or accountable to the, to the general public uh, will select the drug products for the market basket comparison. Will set the prices, and now we're seeing. Uh, that they also want to look at the the uh, books, the the costs, the actual costs to develop a particular drug. Uh, we don't we don't know what that means. Does is that include the cost of failures, which you which you spoke about? Yes. Uh, does that include uh, all costs? Does it include uh, the cost that the government feels is applicable? Anybody who's ever filled out a uh, a uh, tax return knows how the government has a particular view that doesn't necessarily jive with reality. Yeah. So yeah. what we're what we're concerned about is not managing the costs, but the processes that are that are being put in place. And one of the things you mentioned is what happens to the cost savings. Um, when I started practicing back in New York City in the nineteen seventies, believe me believe it or not, there were no such things as pharmacy benefit management companies and health insurance didn't really, really exist in the, in the area of pharmaceuticals. Uh, and all of us looking at the evolution of those, the development and evolution of those benefit companies who really negotiate prices, negotiate contracts, negotiate bulk buying deals, negotiate something called rebates. Over the period of the you know, past 40 some odd years, the intent was to reduce the out-of-pocket costs through negotiation and rebates and uh, commercial considerations and concessions back to the patient. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is somewhere between the negotiated price and the rebates and everything else, the money isn't always coming back to the patients, to the consumer. And that is a problem that we so where's the money going? To, to the BBMs. Now, the pharmacy benefit management companies, uh, interestingly enough, in the past, I'd say maybe four, three, four years, uh, have ended up buying insurance companies. And insurance companies are buying their own pharmacy benefit management wow. companies. Because you make and money on them. Chain, tons. And pharmacy chain are buying or establishing their own pharmacy benefit management program. My own health insurance, uh, uh, where I the way I get my medications, uh, they own their own pharmacies. Uh, so and you are penalized if you go outside of their own pharmacies. They have two pharmacies, uh, and you got to get your medicines from them, which, you know, I guess in a way it's fine. But then the money goes back to the insurance companies, to the PBMs, and the system is a mysterious box, uh, very arcane, very complex system that, we can't, and Men's Health Network has tried, and I've tried because I've been doing this a long time, and others smarter than me uh, with more access to data than me. We simply can't find out where it goes. So, you know, for example, United Healthcare last quarter, they made $5 billion in profit. That's their profit, $5 billion last quarter. 
So the money is going in, and that's not all pharmaceuticals. That's kind of blended. But the pharmaceuticals part, through their Optum Care, is certainly in there. Uh, the pharmaceutical. There's a lot of people in this uh, feeding trough, uh, and uh, where our concern is that the intent is good, but uh, we're not sure where all this rebate negotiated prices are going. So if anything, Men's Health Network is advocating for a great deal more transparency in the process of what happens once it leaves the the factory, if you will, or the manufacturer, and then over to the to the patient. Uh, we think that that's overly complex, very mysterious, and you know uh, we we just can't follow the money. Is really set. And I have to I have to ask you this: they if you can't follow the money, no one could really follow the money. If it cannot be. People are paying exorbitant amounts of money. Now, I will tell you this. The drug companies, according to last year's data, the drug companies shell out about $20 billion a year to schmooze docs. They, sell out, they, they shell out about $6 billion on ads that we see on the TV direct to us. They, they, since 1930... The National Health Institutes, the National Institute of Health, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. NIH, yep. has invested about $900 billion in the basic and applied research that formed both the pharmaceutical and bio te- biomedical uh, sectors. So w- what they're doing is they're researching, that's government money. Mm-hmm. So... The pharmacy, the far, big pharmas are getting money from the government, taxpayer money, our money. They're using, uh, say, let's just say $26 billion a year advertising. The big companies are making over a billion dollars a year. Oh, more than that, sure. And, and I mean, and these are profits. And yet somebody is paying $300 a vial for insulin? Yeah, the, the situation with insulin uh, and some of the biotechnology medications is very disturbing. Uh, as the out-of-pocket costs go up, uh, the uh, ability for patients to and the, you know <laughs> to use their medicines, the compliance, what we call you know, it's a terrible term, but that's what we call it, the compliance and adherence to what's being prescribed goes down. And certainly in cases such as diabetes, uh, that is a killer disease that, as you said in the intro, is on the rise. Uh, that has to be dealt with, and there is legislation being uh, dealt with there. Uh, the, the research, the reason the costs have gone up so high is that we no longer use insulins made from extractions of beef and pork. Uh, we now use recombinant DNA insulins or one a day, once a week, insulin-like products that help manage diabetes much safer and doesn't develop resistance. So that the products we have now certainly are worth it. But I do think, again, you know, the answer I, Men's Health Network and I don't believe is the government setting the price, uh, but I think the answer is the government negotiating the prices and the individual insurance companies negotiating the prices. With the government. Say it again, please. With negotiating the prices with Medicare with a CMS. Yeah, I I think that negotiation of prices with CMS is a, is an appropriate approach. Well, that's what she's uh, that's what she's doing. Well, that's what a, the bill calls for. Uh, 
yes, uh, but it also calls for an arbitration board where the arbitration board, excuse me, will uh, set the price. Uh, so they want to have it both ways. They want to negotiate, but then if they don't like the negotiation, they're going to set a price for it. Um, does that also set the price for the insurance companies? Um, it's almost making the pharmaceutical companies into a utility model. I, that get, was a, I get that. That was a proposal floated by Hillary Rodham Clinton way back, because I'm an old guy, I kind of remember these things, uh, way back that um, uh, it would be uh, the responsibility of the government to uh, essentially declare medications a, a public good uh, and uh, utilitize them. Uh, and that was a, uh, an opinion. So we, we, we're also concerned that this, and if you talk to the people in California about the utilities, anybody who's had tried to hold utility companies at a local you know, municipality accountable, uh, it, it doesn't work very well. So we, we continue to think that, yes, insulin prices, even way down to the prices of very simple drugs for high blood pressure, which is a killer disease, they need to be negotiated in a transparent way, and people need to understand what's happening. And then when they do negotiate rebates, and there are in these insulin products and these insulin-like products, uh, these diabetes, injectable diabetes medicines, there are rebates that come back, but we don't know where it goes. So we think fundamentally the problem is not setting the price, it's making sure that the out-of-pocket costs. Listen, the, the insurance companies have been negotiating prices for a long time. But they get uh, the money. Well, they certainly get a lion's share of it, and it's certainly not coming back to the consumer, uh, the profitability, uh, so you have pharmaceutical companies making profit, insurance companies making profit, pharmacy benefit management companies, many of which are owned by insurance companies, taking a profit. And we simply don't think that the promise of returning the negotiated prices to the consumer have been met. And that's our main beef with what we see. I got it. Do Dr. Giorgiani, I, I have to, uh, usually our show goes at 11, it's on at 10.30, it's off at 10.30 today because of Ohio State football, which is... Oh, that's which, important. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, I, I would like to get you on another time and talk deeper into this. If I if I may, I I, I will get in touch with you and, and hopefully get you back on and talk a little bit more in depth about this. But I want to thank you for being with me and giving us a, a, an indication of where you fall on this and where it's going. I appreciate it. My pleasure, and I'd love to come back and talk with you about how inter the interface between pharmaceutical companies and, and, and the uh, NIH works, because that's a very important topic, too. We'll do that. We'll do that very right, soon. Sir. Thank you, sir. Enjoy the game. Thank you. I only got a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to read or give you this story about this dog. This happened in Thailand. Um, an owner of a truck was driving down a road. Uh, when he got down the road, the, the dog had jumped out of the back of the, of the truck. The owner kept going, uh, realized when it got down the road that the dog was gone, went back to see, they looked, drove around, couldn't find the dog. So they drove away and they lived, uh, quite a ways away from the, that spot. Um, then a lady People in the neighborhood started seeing the dog. The dog would always go back to the same corner where he jumped out of the truck and just sit there. 
sit there. One lady said, I rode my motorcycle past this road and saw him every day for a week. I asked people about his owner because he said he was skinny and he had skin lesions and he just sat there. And they said he had been waiting there since the previous year. Now, this had been going on four years. She said she adopted the dog. She took the dog to the vet. She brought the dog home. But the next day, the dog was gone again. She went back to the corner. The dog was still sitting on the corner. So she decided to leave the dog there and just take him food every day and take care of him. Well, after about four years, she got message out to people, took the message about this dog that just sits at the corner. And the original owner found the dog, came back, saw the dog, and Because of the good care, the owner said, due to her care of our dog, I believe she and the dog will be happy together. But she said, we made one request. We would like you to keep the dog in the house. (laughs) That was a great story. Have a great week. Next week, reminder, the day that is, John Bazika and the whole sports crew at Jersey's to get ready for the big Maslin-McKinley game. I will be in China. I want you to have a great week, folks. Make something great happen, and I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Have a good one.